I recommend still showing up with a mindset of having a good time. So this requires you to feel into your body, to dance, to just generally have that like, I'm, I am the party mindset. Um, and if you show up with that mindset, then people don't actually realize that you're not drinking. <laughs> I'm your host, Jolene on the go, solo female traveler and creative entrepreneur. Think of me as your skydive instructor, empowering you to take the leap into solo travel to push past your fears and transform your life. Join me every Tuesday as we explore the world of solo travel with purpose and discover how you can use it for your personal transformation, learn how to make meaningful connections around the world, and reignite your spirit of play. We aren't just talking about traveling to find ourselves anymore. We're all about doing the work to understand who we authentically are, breaking through our limiting beliefs, and taking the leaps to manifest lives we are excited about. Through interviews, solo episodes, and meditations, each episode is packed with practical tips, strategies, and inspiring stories from guests who have transformed their lives through solo travel. Whether you're a seasoned traveler or just starting out on your journey, the Travel Not to Escape podcast is here to inspire and empower you to solo travel with purpose. Strap on your helmet. We're about to jump headfirst into the journey of a lifetime. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome, navigators, to today's episode of Travel Not to Escape. Today actually is a very special day for me because it marks six months of me being alcohol free. So in today's episode, we're going to be chatting all about, uh, I guess, the last six months of what I have been going through being sober and my history with alcohol, the lessons that I've learned over the last six months and what my relationship with alcohol looks like moving forward. And I'm sharing this with you all because maybe it will resonate with with some or more of you out there that may also be questioning your relationship with alcohol. So I'm going to start off. Uh, I heard this term sober curious, and I like this term because it gives people permission to step into that mindset of curiosity. And you know, I think there's this misconception that, you know, if you go sober, you have to go be sober forever. And I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. And I wouldn't classify myself as having been an alcoholic in order to have gotten to this point where I felt the need to be completely alcohol free for the last six months. Um, I just wanted to really improve my health and, and kind of take a look at what does sober actually look like in my life. So I think that being sober curious is really just being more intentional about your choices as it relates to alcohol. And I think in society and just the way that we live, especially growing up in the U.S., alcohol was always just a given. Uh, at, you know, when you turn 21, that's when you can drink a bunch. But really before then, you're drinking as well. Um, it's part of the party scene that you see in all of the movies and in real life. And, and so um, I myself never really uh, questioned it all that much. Um, and, and now I'm at a stage where I am trying to understand what role it plays in my life and whether it's enhancing uh, my moments or it's taking away uh, from my life. And so in the last three years, especially, I've been traveling full time and I've made a lot of large changes in my career and life. And I've been really focused on living my life 
more closely aligned to my values, being intentional about those choices that I'm making. And so I I really want to work towards a better version of me. And so um, in the last six months, cutting out alcohol was that decision that I needed to make in order to gain some clarity uh, in other areas of my life. Uh, so I'm going to be sharing this sober, curious journey with you all. And I think, first of all, I want to take a step back and uh, just talk about my history with alcohol. So as I mentioned, I never really considered myself an alcoholic, um, but my birth father definitely was. And so because I had that as my starting point in life and because of his alcoholism, um, you know, that led into a lot of, a lot of domestic abuse and things that my mom had to go through. Um, and the very reason she went to the U S was really to get away from him and that, and that violence and, um, all, all the things that happened because of his addiction. And so, because that was where I started off from, I have always had alcohol as a, as a bad thing in my mind um, because I just, I just knew that all the bad things that came from, from having an alcoholic father. I think, though, even with that as my history, I was cognizant that alcohol addiction that runs in my family, but I have been up going through like cycles of anxiety and depression all of my life, and especially at uh, kind of like a pivotal point with a lot of bullying and a lot of just teenage angst, uh, I actually started drinking at the age of 11. And this was at a, I think it was like a, someone I knew was throwing a party and it was their siblings that had alcohol there. And so, yeah, I had vodka at the age of 11. I don't think my mom knows that. Uh, but uh, after that, I, I think I used, I drank alcohol um, at some points throughout high school, but it was never something that um, was a huge part of my life uh, until college. And that's, that's really, I think, when you know, I joined a sorority and then uh, there was really not much else to do in, on campus and I was living um, away from parents for the first time, you know, the same thing that everyone goes through and it's just normalized in your 20s that you go out, you go get drunk, like, and you get, I did, uh, blacked out drunk. And it wasn't something I thought was a, a bad thing. I was just living my normal, my normal uh 20s life. And I think where it started to maybe make some impacts in my life was when I started, I think, going further into depression and then leaning into alcohol to try to escape uh, the feelings that I was feeling. And what did that look like? So that looked like me being a workaholic and working over 12 hours a day, really, really hard, not seeing anyone, not really doing much self-care. And then on the weekends, um, hanging out with friends that uh, drank heavily. And so I'd be taking 10 shots of tequila every Friday and Saturday night, using Sunday to recover, and then repeating the cycle again on, uh, on Monday through Friday. And, you know, it was a way for me to escape the stress 
of my job. It was a way for me to connect with people, but not really. It was just a way for me to like be around other people without having to feel any feelings. I was just able to, to kind of, you know, exist in this like warm and fuzzy state. And I didn't question my relationship with alcohol until it was pointed out to me by my therapist when I finally got to my my lowest of low in 2016. Um, And I started seeing a therapist and she was talking to me about my my pattern of working hard, playing hard, which I thought was just the normal American dream. And she was like, you're, you know, you're binge drinking, right? And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) That's, that never, of course not. Like, I'm just going out and having fun. Like, I I don't understand why, you know, you're killing my vibe. Um, But the more she kept saying it, the more I started to really think about it. And she was right. Uh, I was, I was using the alcohol at that point to uh, escape from just the stress from the relationship I wasn't happy with, with the friends that I wasn't vulnerable with, um, was just the life situation um, that I was in and felt like it couldn't change. And so it was just easier to have those moments of blacking out in order to, to not, to not think, to not feel. Um, But as I started having this therapist who was a literal mirror pointing me and showing me everything about me that, you know, I was like, okay, well, if I, if I don't like this and these are the things that I can change about it. And then I actually had to make those changes. Um, so I did have some more sober periods, uh, kind of around that time as I was leaving San Diego and moving to Chicago and, and, and sort of letting a lot of things go in my life, I was having a lot more sober periods where I would test myself with one month of not drinking, with two months of not drinking. But that was really ever how the, the most that I had gone without drinking was one or two months. Um, and then I moved to Chicago, which was uh, an amazing time for me, but also a very, very big drinking city. And in terms of like making connections and and forming relationships there, it was very much alcohol based. And that was just a given. That's just the culture of the city. It's a lot of fun. But again, it's a lot of it is dependent on alcohol. And so for the, the three years that I lived in Chicago, I was mostly always drinking. And especially, again, I kind of fell back into my like workaholic tendencies, especially working in consulting and now having happy hours sponsored by the company. And, you know, everyone was working hard and playing harder and we would be drinking. And I think also in that environment where it's a very um, male dominated field, I remember I was drinking whiskey in my manager's office and that was how I was able to bond with my my colleagues, my coworkers. So um, because the environment just was set up for me to constantly drink and it was normal and it was the way that you networked with people and had fun and you, how you spent your weekends, um, it was just a normal part of my life. And I kind of flowed through that up until the pandemic hit. And I made the decision around the, like, right when the pandemic hit that I'd wanted to actually go sober uh, for however long the pandemic was going to last. I lasted, I think, like a month. And then I got into a relationship. And that was really um, 
also another mirror that was held up to me in terms of my drinking habits uh, was I, in that relationship, he actually didn't want to drink as much. And I found myself wanting both of us to drink in order to be able to have those vulnerable moments together that I think I just wasn't comfortable in uh, asking the the questions I wanted to ask. Um, and I was feeling insecure and the alcohol helped ease all of those hard feelings that, you know, it was just easier, easier with a bottle of whiskey to, to have conversations about. And, um, after realizing that that's kind of how that relationship, uh, was developing was, was on the, on the foundation of alcohol. Uh, once we both stopped drinking, um, for a bit, we actually gained clarity that that wasn't the right relationship for both of us. And that like, he wanted a more settled life and I wanted to travel. And so that, that kind of ended that path and got me into the, the digital nomading world. And as I've been a digital nomad, I've actually cut down my alcohol because as you're solo traveling, you don't really, um, have the moments like yes you go out and you 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 drink and party but I'm also very conscious of like being alone as a woman and then being inebriated and having to get myself home so I have cut down on alcohol but it's still like I think in the nomading world when you're traveling it is a way that you meet people you go to the happy hours you go to the um you know whiskey tastings wine tastings there's a lot that of the activities and the ways of meeting people that are very much still alcohol based. So that's kind of my history of, of alcohol um, up to the point where I got to this year. Um, and the thing as well with the alcohol is it's kind of come hand in hand with my uh, eating disorder and my body dysmorphia, which I haven't really shared with a lot of people, um, but there's this thing in my my mind where I actually cannot, for the life of me, like really truly see what I look like, and it messes with me a lot because if I'm looking in a mirror, I, it actually doesn't register in my mind like what I actually look like. I have to take photos, I have to take videos, and then I have to actually like look and critically look at them in order to really gain an understanding of what do I look like. And this has affected me because uh, I also binge eat whenever I feel out of control. It's my my form of one, protecting myself um, from some past traumas that I've experienced, but also controlling the, the overwhelming feelings that I'm feeling at a particular moment or the anxiety that comes up. And so with the with the binge eating and the body dysmorphia whenever um those kind of get triggered i have alcohol or i did have alcohol as a way to escape how i was feeling about my own body and every time i felt maybe self-conscious or insecure uh, i would maybe lean into drinking so if you're out at a club or if i was out at a club or at a social situation it was just easier to to drink and not feel the insecure feelings that was coming up. And then I kind of perpetuated the cycle of body dysmorphia and binge eating in myself. And it took a while of, of working through with a therapist to really uh, understand that this was a pattern that I was, I was going through. So this year, actually, um, 
I started feeling those feelings again. And uh, it, I decided that rather than lean in to drinking alcohol in order to numb those feelings and, and thoughts that I was having, that I was actually going to to do something different and not drink at all. So I started April 23rd, 24th. I had been in Rio. It was a lot of fun. And there was just something that happened in me at that time when I was in Rio where it was just, I was eating a lot and I was drinking a lot and it was actually a very body positive location and it was so much fun. But maybe because of that, I started to think like how, you know, I'm seeing all these like people just being so confident in their skin and their bodies and moving and dancing. And I don't feel that way. And I know that I can feel that way. And I have before, uh, but I don't feel that way now. And so after Rio, I really started thinking, okay, I, I need to break this pattern that I'm in because I can't just keep, like, it's a very slippery slope with me in terms of like my eating disorder and body dysmorphia and, and really going down that rabbit hole again. And so rather than you know, continuing that pattern, I decided, okay, I'm going to give myself a break. And it wasn't really an intentionally long time that I had set for myself. I just said, okay, I'm going to be sober while I'm in Colombia. And I was in Colombia for three weeks. Um, So then in Colombia, I was actually fortunate enough that the, in Medellin specifically, they have so many uh, drinks that are mocktails and juices and are fun. And actually, I didn't have the temptation as much to drink alcohol while I was in Medellin because my friend who was staying with me and we were nomading there together also wasn't drinking. And there was so many options to not um, to not drink alcohol in those places. So then after Colombia, I had a series of different trips planned uh, around the U.S. and Puerto Rico. Um, and I was thinking, you know, wow, like I have weddings to go to. I have like different, I was bartending in Chicago and not drinking, right? So there were all these things that I were was doing now sober. And the, the more that I started doing these things sober, the more I was like, well, I don't really need to drink, right? Like if I can get through a wedding and I can get through bartending two nights in a row in Chicago and and living in Chicago for three weeks again, completely sober, and it just be like completely fine and normal, then, then why do I need to drink? And as I kept going, the days kept passing and the events uh, that I attended kept growing, I started realizing that I was building up my confidence as well. um, And you know, finally um, breaking free from from the kind of like that insecurity and the, the feelings, the body dysmorphia, the eating disorder that I knew um, was my pattern. So uh, that's kind of how I ended up being sober uh, for so long. And, and then I went to the Philippines to celebrate my birthday. And because of my uh, my history, my family history with my, my father being alcoholic, when I went to the Philippines in July, I, I just felt in my soul that it was not right for me to drink alcohol in a place where my dad was an alcoholic and had caused so much pain to my mom and my family. And so, um, yeah, I went through two months in the Philippines without alcohol and now I'm in Bali. And again, like the, the location 
that I'm at in Ubud, like I don't really feel the need to drink. And so, yeah, that's kind of how the last six months ended up happening. And I've learned so many lessons, not just about myself and my health, but also like my love life and how I make connections. And that's actually what has inspired me to help other people be able to form meaningful connections anywhere in the world using play instead of alcohol, because I've been doing this for the last six months. And prior to this, I was doing it the other way with alcohol. And so I have that perspective of doing both while traveling and it's possible. And not only is it possible, I feel like I'm more connected with the people that I've made connections with um, when alcohol wasn't involved. So um, that I will go over in more detail um, because I'm, I'm very excited to release an ebook and a program that focuses on these sober curious connections through play. Um, but as I am going through this podcast. Um, I want to also share some of the lessons first that I learned. So one of the the things that I've already mentioned was the the confidence and in managing body dysmorphia, being more in tune with my body. So actually, by by eliminating the alcohol in my life, I was actually pushed to feel my body again, like actually feel. Uh, the movements that I was making and like really ground down. And when I was in Colombia, I actually went to a yoga silence meditation retreat in the jungle where we did an ecstatic dance and we were crawling on the floor like animals, the beat of the drums. And then we were doing just like weird intuitive movements with our body, with our eyes closed. And uh, it kind of led us into dancing to more popular music, to salsa music. Um, But in that process, I, you know, at that point had been I think three weeks sober. And that was just kind of like a a light bulb in my head of, wow, like this is what it's actually like to feel my body move and not feel self-conscious when I dance and and just allow my body to move in the way it wants to move to the beat of the music and not feel like other people are staring at me. Like I now dance if I can with my eyes closed because I just want to feel the music. And so being alcohol free and also doing these things like ecstatic dance has allowed me to get back in to my body. And so rather than leaning on alcohol, whenever I feel self-conscious, I, I just, I don't have that as a crutch anymore. And so I have to sit with those feelings and I have to process them if I'm feeling a certain way and then do it anyway, move with my body anyway. Um, because the, the best way to, to get over it is by, by just doing it. Um, and it's, and the interesting thing is like, people have actually said like, oh my God, you look so confident when you dance, you look, you're such a good dancer. But it's like, in my mind, I've had to go through so much mental gymnastics to get to this point. So if I can do it, you can do it too. Um, so whenever I do have those thoughts that are just like so overwhelming uh, in regards to my body, because they still do come up, um, I, I book a therapy session. I go to sound healing. I use tarot cards. I journal. I do breath work or meditation session. Like I have now a toolkit of things that I know make me feel better. Uh, that reground me, that take away some of those uh, intrusive thoughts so that I can proceed as confident as I can. So rather than um, leaning on a bottle of wine as I did before, I 
I now have uh, a more healthy toolkit. Uh, so that definitely has been um, a really big lesson that I learned and, and really was one of my first objectives in, in cutting out alcohol uh, for this time period. The second lesson that I learned was uh, gaining clarity on dating with alcohol. So over the last year and a half, I actually had stopped dating because of just the focus that I wanted to, to put on my business. Um, and I recently went on a few dates while I was in Bali. And I have this thing that my friends make fun of me for because I end up going on the longest possible dates. Like I go, I think my last date was 15 hours. I've been on like 24 hour dates. Like what, you know, most people will go, will meet for a coffee or meet for a drink and be done in an hour. Like I'm spending a whole day with these men. And initially I was thinking, uh, you know, it was all alcohol fueled. And that was one of the, the things my therapist said as well. It's like, you need to, you know, you need to date these people without alcohol because that way you can get a better idea of who they actually are and not let the alcohol be the one that's dating them. And so I've done that a few times, but then more recently realized, uh, especially going back into dating now completely sober, that I still do those marathon dates, that it wasn't the alcohol that was fueling how long these dates were. It was like an underlying issue for me personally, where I think I just didn't want to deal with the after date stuff because like the date itself is never as bad as this, the feelings that arise after the date, right? Because the, the feelings that come up after the date is, are those feelings of rejection, those feelings of um, self-consciousness and insecurity. And I was trying to control the outcome by not letting the date end and just like having the best time on the date and like getting all of those like good vibes in during the date. Um, so I realized when I cut out alcohol that there were some underlying dating issues that I still needed to address, uh, that I was just putting alcohol on top of and blaming, but it really wasn't the alcohol. It was me. And that was work that I still needed to do in order to control my impulses and assess the actions that I am making um, on these dates. So clarity. Uh, third lesson, uh, I also developed an appreciation for hobbies and discovering the importance of play and vulnerability. And so the type of vulnerability that happens when you're when you're drinking is you you get just so um, you, know, you get so drunk and you get comfortable because your inhibitions are gone and you can just say whatever it is that you want to say and uh, you know in hopes that the other person will probably forget as well or is at the same state that you are and um, while those have made some connections in the past uh, you can substitute that level of vulnerability that you get to when you're drinking with play. So that's actually what the program is that I'm building is how do you understand what your play cell is and what feels most like play to you uh, to get yourself into that vulnerable state to connect with another human uh, without having to both be drunk uh, to get to that same way. So um, understanding what hobbies, what activities light me up, feel like play to me, uh, and then using that as a foundation to connect with other people has definitely been a lesson that I've learned and that I also want to share with others. So 
Number four, uh, understanding the standards for are higher for meaningful conversations. So uh, this is for both dating and connections and generally for how I'm investing my time. So I realize that I'm a lot more critical of the time that I'm spending with someone and I want to nourish my connections more with some deeper conversations than I do with um, just you know, being drunk and on a different state. And this has allowed me to also kind of separate the types of activities that I'm doing. So if I'm craving something that's more meaningful, then I'm, I'm probably not going to get that craving satiated through going out to the club and dancing, right? But I still do love dancing. And so if I'm going to go out to dance with some girlfriends, like that's going to be what I do. I'm going to show up and I'm going to have fun and I'm going to dance. And that's the energy that I'm bringing. If I want a meaningful conversation, I'm going to have that at a dinner at a, at a different like one-on-one type of event. So um, I'm now able to kind of separate the different types of activities that I do and what I'm looking for in each one. And I'm not trying to blur the lines either in terms of like, if I'm going to go out uh, with some girlfriends and dance, like I'm likely not going to meet a person that I'm going to have a conversation with and I want to date, right? Like that's very unlikely because what I am looking for is those deeper, meaningful conversations in terms of dating. And so, um, again, I'm, I'm better able to separate the moments in which those happen and um, kind of prioritize my time that way. Lesson five, um, noticing the smaller things. So I do find myself as well, um, I find myself feeling my emotions and processing them in real time. So if I'm angry, I have to ask myself, like, why is it that I'm angry? Uh, What am I doing and what do I want to do with that feeling? Is that feeling serving me? What lesson am I learning? And was it teaching me and, you know, what whatever it, whatever triggered that emotion, was it teaching me about that? So I'm able to notice the smaller things because I have the clarity. Uh, I'm not uh, distracted or numbed by the alcohol. And so if I'm feeling a certain way uh, at a given night, I have to feel those feelings. I have to sit with those feelings. I have to process them and let them flow through me. Uh, I can't, I don't have the distractions to lean on, um, which is a good thing. Uh, Number six, your environment plays a huge role in your success. So as I mentioned, it was really hard for me to stop drinking in Chicago and in Rio that I was just drinking all the time versus when I was in Medellin and, you know, in a jungle for three days that was all vegan and no alcohol or in Bali and Ubud specifically where uh, the nightlife isn't necessarily as uh, dominant here, and there's a lot more options for for vegan food and for non-alcoholic beverages. And so, if you are wanting to make a huge change in your life and the way that your your lifestyle is, think about how you can set up your environment to better support those goals. Like I'm, I'm eating more vegan food just because the amount of vegan food that's delicious here is everywhere, and I don't even have to think about 
whether something is vegan or not. And that's the same thing with the drinking. Like I don't even have to think about drinking or not because I've gotten myself to this point where like either option is okay. Either option, I'm going to have a lot of fun. Um, But one option is a lot healthier for me. So take a look at your environment and what role your environment is playing and towards the, the success of the goals that you have. Number seven, realizing that friends respect your decision to be sober. So generally, I found that friends have been so supportive of my decision to not drink alcohol. They'll maybe ask like, oh, why Why is that? And then that's, that's the end of it. Like no one ever really um, pushes or, or questions me. But there have been two instances that I found where people have wanted me to drink. And... Um, I found it kind of fell into two categories. So it was because they wanted you to have a good fun time vibe. And they thought that the only way in order to do that was for you to drink. And the second was because they were feeling self-conscious and wanted everyone to also kind of have that same level of numbness so that they didn't feel as self-conscious. So to address the first one where they just want to have a good time, fun time vibe, uh, I recommend still showing up with a mindset of having a good time. So this requires you to feel into your body, to dance, to just generally have that like, I'm, I am the party mindset. Um, and if you show up with that mindset, then people don't actually realize that you're not drinking. Um, uh, and that's the, the weird thing is like the majority of the time, because I'm showing up and if I show up for that night and I'm dancing and I'm vibing, people don't realize I'm not drinking until I'm ordering a water. And that's when they're like, wait, you're not drinking. That's what it's a conversation. But um, it definitely, if you show up with that mindset, it addresses that first group of people who just generally want you to have a good time as well, but they just don't know uh, if you'll get there without the alcohol. The second, and this, this has happened very rarely, but usually with like a friend of a friend or if you're in a larger group, sometimes there will be one person who is going to be so persistent and trying to buy you shots, trying to buy you drinks, making sure you drink with them. And this happened recently. And um, I noticed in general that the pattern is, is because they're actually self-conscious about themselves, themselves when they drink, how they're acting. Um, And because of that, they want you to be on the same level as them so that they don't feel as self-conscious. And so this happened recently when I went out with a friend of a friend and he kept asking the whole time. He's like, am I being annoying? Am I being too much? I like, do you like me? Am I being cool? Like he kept asking those questions. And then he kept also being really persistent and like making sure I took a shot with him, making sure I had a drink all the time. And I tried to tell him, no, I don't need the alcohol. Like, you see, I'm still dancing. I was trying to address the first piece, which was the good time, fun time vibes. But I realized it was actually a deeper level than that, that like he was feeling really insecure. And so with that, you have a couple of options. You could either just hold firm, not drink, and just try to ignore them until they, they drink so much that they forget. Or you can keep a drink like a mocktail or like a soda water on hand just to not even have those conversations. Just say like, yeah, I'm drinking already. You know, you're good. Um, or you, I, I had to do this in this instance because it just was so persistent. Uh, I actually had to pretend to take a shot. And your options when you are at this situation is you can tell the bartender, hey, can you pour me a water shot? Uh, And then you can take that and it looks like vodka and everyone's happy and fine. Or um, what I had to do in this case was 
I just gave the shot to another friend, pretended to take a shot. And then while that person who was really persistent was um, taking their shot, I just handed it to a friend, took her empty shot and was good to go. So you have a couple of options, but those are really the two lessons I think I learned from the people that are persistent when you have said and made it very clear that you don't want to drink. Um, number eight, improved health and energy. So my skin has been a lot better. My face, I just generally feel a lot more hydrated. I feel a lot less bloated. I'm a lot more energetic. I even started training for a half marathon and I've lost 20 pounds in the last like six months. So in general, like not drinking alcohol has done such wonders to my health. Uh, so that's definitely something to keep in mind if you are going on this journey. Like, it's not the only reason I went on this journey, but it's definitely something that does help if you have health and like healthy habits as a goal in your life. Number nine, um, and this is going into managing situations again uh, when, when people are um, persistent in offering to drink. Um, and a couple of things that I um, have, have used to navigate. So I think one of the lessons that I learned is don't be one of the last two people when you are out and drinking. Uh, or if, if you're not drinking and they are, make sure you're not one of the last two. Because what ends up happening is that you have to be that person that, you know, stays longer, that watches that person to make sure that they're not going to get taken, kidnapped, whatever it is, or, you know, because if you're going out, you're solo female travelers going out together and one person gets a little too drunk, uh, you know, consciously, like I can't leave a friend. So I found that it's just easier if you, one, avoid being one of the last two people that are out because then you can excuse yourself at the time that feels best for you and you don't have to have, you know, someone else's um, nights dependent on what time you go home. Uh, the other option is being clear ahead of time, which is what I'm going to be doing moving forward, is being clear in communicating what time you are going to go. So that way there's an expectation that like, hey, maybe don't drink as much because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be there at, after this time period. So that puts the expectation on the other person to say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure to kind of moderate my drinking so I can make myself you know, I can take myself home. And so uh, that's definitely a lesson that I've learned um, over the last six months is I don't want to control other people's drinking. I don't want to control other people's way of going out. The only person that I can control is myself. But in these situations, um, I can't leave if someone is not able to take themselves home. So I just need to make sure in the future that I communicate whatever my, my morning commitments are, that I have a hard stop for the night, and then this will allow them to make the decisions that they need to make in order to control their drinking themselves or be able to get themselves home safely. Um, but at least I you know, was able to clearly communicate my boundary and my hard stop and set that expectation ahead of time. And you know, it is just like learning lessons moving forward in terms of my level of communication, um, especially in these situations where uh, I'm not drinking and maybe a friend is. And the last lesson that I want to cover is just like normalizing being sober in general. 
like the longer that I'm sober, the longer that being sober actually is not a big deal. And I actually forget that I'm not drinking because I'm, I'm doing all the things that I normally would, you know, I've been able to, without the alcohol, build up my self-confidence enough to be able to walk uh, into a room full of people and make conversation with anyone that I, I want to make a conversation with. I've been able to build up my confidence enough to be the person dancing in the middle of the dance floor when no one else is dancing. And because of that, um, I can put myself in social situations without having to drink. And um, that's the reason why like being sober actually for me is no longer a, a big deal. Uh, it's, a, it's a bigger deal than other people, again, because of the, the two reasons I mentioned. But for me, like in my day to day life, like the longer that I'm sober, the, the less I'm actually um, pressured to, to want to drink. Um, and now I'm at the point where today is my six months of being alcohol free. And, you know, in the future, I think I will drink, you know, I don't want to cut it out completely from my life. Like I love the taste of wine. I love the taste of whiskey. Like I have a bottle of champagne in Chicago that I'm still waiting on to, to celebrate with, right. There's a lot of things that I still love about, the taste of alcohol, like cocktail bars, all of that. Um, so I, I'm not cutting it out completely. But what I think the last six months have taught me is that there's a way that you can do it healthy. And it's also important to understand what is your relationship with alcohol? Why are you drinking? Are you drinking because you feel uh, like it'll help you be more confident, if it'll help you be more secure, if it'll help you be less awkward in relationships and conversations and connections. Because if that's the reason that you're drinking, you know, maybe it's it's time to be a little curious about why that is your go-to form um, to to work through some of those feelings. And and what are other things that you can add to your toolkit in order for alcohol to not be the only thing that you rely on. Uh, so again, I'm not trying to control anyone else's drinking. Uh, I just want to share kind of what the last six months of not drinking and the lessons that I learned um, have been for me um, to maybe encourage other people to, to think about what is the role that alcohol plays in their lives and in what ways can you substitute it in different situations that will make you feel more confident and whole and help you more towards the goals that you're wanting to accomplish. Whew. That was a, that was a lot. I know. Um, I, if you have any questions about being sober curious about any of these lessons, feel free to DM me at Travel Not to Escape on Instagram. Uh, you can also join the Travel Not to Escape Facebook community. And also I will be dropping the link. So watch out on those two platforms because I will be dropping the link to my free ebook on uh, the Sober Connections Playbook. I think I'm calling it Sober Curious, Sober Curious Connections Playbook, where we're, I'm going to be teaching you how to make connections without alcohol, anywhere in the world that you might be. We're going to be using play to do so. And I'm also going to be sharing a free webinar as well uh, that covers the same things. I'm excited to help you on your journey. I hope that this episode was helpful and, and I'll see you in our next adventure. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Travel Not to Escape podcast. 
I hope you found our conversation inspiring and insightful. And if you're ready to take the next step in your journey of self-discovery through intentional travel, I invite you to join our vibrant and supportive community of solo female travelers over on Facebook. Inside our community, you'll find like-minded women from all walks of life sharing their stories, experiences, and tips on how to make travel a transformative part of your life. It's a safe space to ask questions, seek advice, and find inspiration. To become a part of this incredible community, simply search for Travel Not to Escape on Facebook groups, or you can click the link in the episode description. I can't wait to welcome you into our tribe of fearless travelers. Remember, your journey of self-discovery begins with that first step. So don't hesitate. Join us today and let's embark on this adventure together. Until next time, keep exploring, connecting, and playing, and safe travels, navigators.